So we're doing a five-part series on the coming of Jesus, running up to Christmas Day. And the first week, I spoke about prophecies and preparations for Jesus' coming. We looked at how God had prepared the world, how there was this amazing peace for 200 years, a road system that was incredible and traveled across the sea as well, and a common language. And then we looked at the prophecies from the beginning to the end of the Old Testament of Jesus, some of them incredibly specific. And then we focused on Isaiah, which has got the most rich and and uh, just exciting words about Jesus. And then last week, we looked at God taking a human body and how the line of Jesus, his, dear, his physical DNA was quite messy and it was deliberately put in there by Matthew so we would see what it was for Jesus to become human. Anne came and introduced to us a lot of uh, archaeological uh, information to see exactly what it was. You can actually see places where Jesus walked, things he could have touched, and they're still around today. This happened in history. And then we ended by talking about how it was necessary for Jesus to save us, for him actually to become human. So uh, let, me ask, let me pause a moment and ask you, where in the New Testament do we find the Christmas story? Which books? Yeah? Matthew? Anywhere else in the New Testament? Hmm? Luke. We find it Matthew, Luke. What about Mark and John? Yeah, there's no Christmas story in Mark. He just jumps straight in. Uh, the reason is because Mark is much shorter than the others. And he uh, is assuming that you've read the others and he's taking particular things out to make a, to have a particular message. And so he doesn't need to, to, t- to, to have every story. Um, what about John? Does John have a Christmas story in it? <laughs> it begins in the beginning, but like, is a Bethlehem mentioned or a manger or anything like that? Why would that be? Since, uh, you know, it's, it's uh, so focused on Jesus. Why would it be? Well, John was written much later and assumes you've read the other Gospels. And for this reason, he's got the luxury of being able to pick particular stories and weave them together to tell the meaning. He is a more theological writer than the others, and he's developing particular themes from the story, particularly in John, the theme about why people believe, who believes, who doesn't, and what that what it is to believe in Jesus. And he, at the end, he writes, these things were written that you might believe and believing have eternal life. Someone described John's gospel as a lake that's shallow enough around the edge for children to play in and deep enough in the middle that the deepest submarine couldn't reach the bottom. That's how people have described it. And I like that because it is a very rich book. Um, so Actually, there is a story of Jesus' birth in John's Gospel. Do you know where it is? Well, it's at the beginning. So uh, it's right at the beginning, and we're going to look at it now. Now, I've spoken on this a couple of years ago, and what I 
what I'm going to do, my goal, I spoke on the beginning of John a couple of years ago, and I'm going to um, reiterate a little bit of how it's, how it's written, just to give us some context. Before that, my goal for today is to hear John's telling of the story and to feel its power. So I'm going to have five steps, usually I have three points, and I thought, if I have five points, yes, to, who has five points? That's just too many. So I thought, I need to make this a little bit more visual. So we're going to have five steps, and we're going to be walking up these steps, and I'm not telling you what they are till we get there, because it will spoil where we're going. Um, and so these, this is John's teaching in five steps. So this is too small to read, because I'm showing you the outline of the first 18 verses of John and it's an amazing piece of poetry and it starts with a statement in the beginning was the word the word was with God and the word was God and that's at the top there and at the bottom it ends no one has ever seen God the one and only himself was God who is closest fellowship with the father has made God known and so God, it, Jesus is called God at the beginning at the end and then we have in, in the green there a statement of creation, the beginning and end. And then we have a, a statement in verses 4 and 5, light shining the darkness. And I'm just going to actually read some of these verses here. I know it's too small for most of you to read there. Well, maybe some of you can. Um, those of you online won't be able to read this. But um, uh, I'm going to read verses 4 and 5. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not mastered it. And that is reflected in this poem in the matching part. From his fullness, we've all received grace and truth. And then we have a, a reflection about John, John um, the Baptist coming, um, John bearing witness in verse 6 through uh, through 9 and then verse 15. And then um, we're going to read verses 9 and 10. The true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. He was the world, he was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. And so this is like, this isn't much of a statement of Jesus' birth in terms of detail, but this is the, the core idea, this light which enlightens everyone is coming into the world. And then it says in the middle, and this is the central section of this poem, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And then it says they were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. And uh, yeah, so let's, and then there's a statement but going back again, the word became flesh, dwelt among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, full of grace and truth, who came from the Father. Now, um, I'm just showing you that. I'm, we're going to spend some more time in other parts of John. But I'm showing you that because the key idea that we have in John's gospel um, is that Jesus was from above. Jesus was from above. And I'm going to just uh, make you show you this is my first step. Jesus came from above. Now, um, there are two kinds of religion. Religions that try and reach up to God, 
and those that uh, depend on God reaching down to us, which, of course, is Christianity. We cannot reach up and find him. We can't. But he has found us. And this, as I said, is one of the central themes in the gospel, in the gospel of John. And I spent several hours going through the book, and I found over 100 verses that have got this theme in them, this from-aboveness theme in them. And I'll put, a, I'll put a list on the website for the sermon that you can click on it. And you can see them more if you, if you like. Um, but I'm going to try and simply explain to, to some of the key ones here to you. Um, and this is the Christmas message of John, that Jesus is from above. He's come down. He's come from uh, something above our, our nature. He's come down and... Um, he, uh, we have to become from above people in order to be saved from this world. And so I want to see now how John develops this theme. And this is the theme then. Jesus came from above. We must be born then from above. So we must have some of his from aboveness to, in order to live. And John doesn't waste any time in telling us this. It's this passage that we just read. Um, we saw this uh, being born from above in there, being born of God. Um, but it's right the, at the forefront of the message to Nicodemus. And I'm sure you, you're familiar with one of the best-known verses of Scripture. Um, before before um, I go any further, I have to clarify something. Um, the... The word, uh, we, we often, we, we read the word, we hear the expression being born again. Well, sadly, that's not a good translation of the Greek word anuthen. Greek word anuthen means from above. And what Jesus said is being born from above. But it can occasionally mean again. And Nicodemus misunderstood it as being again. He misunderstood the word. Um, and so uh, the original translators of one of the original translators of the English Bible, instead of translating it from above, being born from above, it said you must be born again and uh, reflecting Nicodemus's misunderstanding. And unfortunately, that became copied in each translation until today. If you were to produce an English translation and you didn't have born again in it, you had born from above, you'd get slammed as this is heretical. Who's going to buy this translation? It doesn't even have the expression born again in it. So, like, unfortunately, there are not many translations that are courageous enough, though every Greek scholar knows that's not how it should be. It should be born from above because John uses the word anuthen quite frequently, he never means again with it. He always means from above. You can tell from the context. And in fact, from the context here, Jesus is quite clearly meaning from above. So I'm, so I'm explaining to you now that as we read this, this is why it doesn't say born again. It says born from above. And it's key to the message here. Now, there was a man, a Pharisee, named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, 
Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God, which, of course, is a kingdom that's above. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? So this is his misunderstanding. Uh, Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born from above. If I've told you heavenly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you, sorry, if I tell you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who's descended from heaven, the Son of Man. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And so this is the idea of God sending Jesus from above. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world should be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. So you, you're familiar with those verses, I'm sure, some of the best love verses in the Bible. But often we, we, they're so well known that we just let them go through and we don't hear what Jesus is saying. And I've given this illustration before, but I love it, so I'm going to give it again. Imagine you're on the deck of a ship which is going down. It's sinking. It's the ship is going down. And a helicopter comes overhead, and there's a cable coming down, and on the end of the cable is a harness. And you can clip that harness around you. And once you clip that around you, your destiny is no longer connected with the ship that's going down. It's connected with the helicopter. Because there's some from aboveness in this helicopter. And it's like God has sent something from above that we can connect to. And once we do that, we're no longer part of this that's going down. We are part of what is going up because we're connected to that. And that is what is being offered to Nicodemus. This, God has sent his son so you can participate in this future. This present is going down, but you can participate in this future. And this is why Jesus has come into the world. And so if we're to be part of what he's doing, we must have some of this nature, some of this from aboveness in us connected to it. And um, so, so I really want you to, to get this feel of like two essences, two kinds of stuff, the stuff of this world, the stuff that is material, that's, that's heading for disaster, that's, that's just gradually decaying, it's gradually falling apart, and it will be gone. It won't last for eternity. And the stuff of heaven, stuff from God, which is eternal, which is pure. And this new, this new um, kind of being, this new kind of essence is offered to you. 
And so being born from above means you get some of this life in you, some of this life that belongs to the eternal. And so when your body dies, this life will continue. And this is the core, I would say, the core message of the Gospel of John. It's this message and whether people believe it or not and how people respond to it is what John is really interested in. So when John recounts Jesus doing things, they are really evidence, like is this is a demonstration that Jesus is not of this world. So, uh, so uh, this is, the, this is the, the second step then. Jesus came from above, we must be born from above. So the step I want to go next is somewhat surprising. Um, it's it's uh, something that, that John particularly emphasizes, but it's a little bit surprising to us. That Jesus, in everything that he did, didn't depend on uh, his own, his, um, the fact that he's God. He depended on a connection of, the, of, of the, the Father's power coming into him. He depended on a power coming to him from above. Now, I'm going to explain what this means, because this, this is not totally straightforward. Um, Jesus was divine. Jesus could have at any moment um, you know, done anything in his own divine power. So, for example, um, Satan tempted him to turn stones into bread, and he could have done that. But Jesus instead depended on the power the Father was giving him moment by moment to do the works that he did, because he wanted to demonstrate to us what a human being with that's born from above can do and so he wanted to demonstrate that what he was doing could be emulated by us if we have the spirit living in us and so he deliberately shut himself off from that power so um uh, so one of the stories is that um jesus is talking about the day of his coming and he says even i don't know what day i'm going to be returning and that didn't mean to say that, you know, that God didn't know. It meant that he hadn't accessed that knowledge because he wanted to, to keep himself within the bounds of the knowledge that a human filled with the Spirit could have. And so uh, let's look at some verses which support this rather um, sometimes difficult to grasp idea. Uh, Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of the one who sent me. So he's not doing his own will. He's doing the will of the Father. I can do nothing on my own initiative. Just as I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the one who sent me. I have a testimony greater than, than that for John, from John. For the deeds that the Father has assigned me to complete, the deeds I'm now doing, testify about me that the Father has sent me. So the deed, the miracles didn't testify, didn't prove that Jesus was God. They proved that Jesus was sent by God. Otherwise, you know, Paul and Peter did miracles. They proved that he was sent by God and his words were, were, um, were given to him by God. And of course, his, he said, you know, he's from God. He proclaimed that he was from God and that was supported by the miracles. For I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will 
of the one who sent me. It's important to understand these, these things. If you meet somebody like a Jehovah's Witness who claim, well, Jesus isn't God, look at these verses here, and they'll point to these verses. It's important to understand that Jesus is not saying he's not divine. He's saying, I've put myself temporarily in a position like you. So like you, I'm dependent on the Spirit. And like you, I have to be dependent on this from above power that's coming in so I can live my life. And um, so this is, this is a difficult idea, but I believe it's a really important idea for us. And um, we, we need, to, it's, it's slightly shocking, I think, um, when we read some of these verses about what Jesus is saying. But it turns out that a perfect human being is not self-sufficient. A perfect human being is not, doesn't have everything that they need. They need moment by moment to be trusting in the power from above. Another way Jesus puts it is, I'm, is like the branches joined to the vine and needing the power from the vine. And so a perfect human being is not independent Perfect maturity is actually dependence. And so here is the fourth step then. The third one was Jesus was, is totally dependent on power from above, or was in his life. So we need to depend totally on Jesus now that he's returned to heaven. So I can't stress this enough because I think that if we lived out of this more in our own Christian lives, we would have more victory. We try and do things in our own strength, and we need to say, I cannot do this. God, I cannot do this. But I am not my own. I'm yours. You need to give me the life to do this and, re re and trust in this power. If Jesus did it, how much more should we do it? And so uh, this is uh, a key message then in the Gospel of John about this from aboveness. So Jesus is demonstrating to us a life of dependence. And he, uh, let me give you a, 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 a scripture that talks about this. We're going to look at an argument that he had with some people um, who followed him, and they're simply trying to get more food from him. That's what they want. And uh, they're comparing him with Moses in the time of the wilderness. Jesus picks up this message of bread from heaven. You know, Moses gave us manna from the wilderness. Jesus picks up this message and says, I am the bread from heaven. Let's look at these verses. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is not this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother that we know? How does he now say, I've come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread 
that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. So it's very picture language, but I'm sure you get it, that you need to be taking in life from Jesus, just like you take in bread. How, can we, how long can we live without eating? Yeah, you can actually live quite a long time without eating if you're not doing anything, you know, if you're just... But if you're actually doing stuff in your, your work, how long can you continue to live and do stuff? Not very long. Not very long. And uh, what Jesus is saying, actually, you can't do anything. You have to be constantly taking in this food, which is himself, in order to live. Now, Jesus said some strange things without explaining it. You know, if, if somebody came up to you and said, uh, oh, yeah, I'm bread. So what do you mean you're bread? Well, I'm bread. You've got to feed on me. <laughs> what are you talking about? So uh, why did Jesus say such confusing things? Can you tell me? Well, I'll tell you, one of the main problems Jesus faced was they thought they already knew what he was saying. If he said, I'm the Messiah, oh, yeah, we know who the Messiah is. He's going to lead us in a rebellion against the Romans. He's going to build an army. And like, if he'd said that, they would have put him in a box. The problem was they had these boxes and Jesus, they would just slot him in there and they wouldn't even be listening to what he said. And so Jesus had to get them out of their box and to say, no, you don't understand this. This is completely different to anything that you were thinking that the Messiah is going to be. And he did explain it, but he didn't explain it until he got them into a mode where they realized they didn't understand. And then those who persisted and followed him, he would explain what he meant by that. Um, but, um, uh, and, and, to an extent, the same is true from us with us because this is a radical message. You know, it would be like a baby that was never had the umbilical cord cut, always connected to the mother. Well, you know, it's not like, that's wrong. That's got to happen. But no, for us, we are constantly connected to the one who, who bore us to God. And we constantly need his power coming into us. And Jesus is saying this to them. It's not just like you're born again, you're born from above, and then that's it. You're born from above, and it's a constant thing. And I'm going to actually demonstrate that in my own life, in the, in the way that I live, that I am feeding from the Father. His food, my food is to do his will. Um, is this making sense to you? This verse, uh, this, um, let's look at some more verses here. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. Such an incredibly profound verse. And this is the core of what I want to say today. So the, the message of Christmas in John is this. Not only did Jesus come from above, but he came to bring us some of this aboveness so that we might have his life in us. He didn't just come to save us, come to pay our price of our sin. He came to give us something of this that's from above so that we can live that. So uh, John 15, 
But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. The Spirit is the way that Jesus lives in us. He is the channel that Jesus lives, of the flow. It's like a pipe from the Father and Jesus flows through the pipe and the Spirit is this connection with us. And uh, so... That is, that's then the fourth step. So now it's the fifth step. And you, you, maybe you're not going to like the fifth step. But the fifth step is there. And the fifth step is in John. Now Jesus sends us. Now Jesus sends us. And this is very clear in the message of John. And these five things are connected from, together. And we come as messengers from above into a dark world. We carry the light of heaven into this dark world. <clears throat> and Jesus says in exactly the same way that the Father has sent him, he is sending us, and we're empowered by the same Spirit. These verses in John 17 are so exciting. Let's look at them. Just as you sent me into the world, he's praying to the Father. So I send them into the world. Wow, what do you think of that? And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be consecrated, sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only. In other words, not just for the, the, the disciples with him, but also for those who believe in me through their word, which is us that they will all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. So here's a prep that we would be one. Unity is so important to Jesus. And partly that's why we eat together, because eating together builds unity. I pray that they will be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. Wow, he wants us to have the same kind of unity as he has within the Trinity to the Father. This is a strong prayer. Has this been answered yet? Does, do we see this unity in God's people, in the church, the same level of unity as in the Trinity? I don't think so. My, my prayer is that we will. I mean, Jesus has prayed it. My prayer is that we will see increasing unity. I don't know how it's going to happen, but Jesus has prayed it. I in them and you in me, that they may be completely one so that the world will know that you sent me and you have loved them just as you have loved me. This is why love is so important as in its demonstration to one another because it's evidence of God's love given to us. So this is, this is almost too much to get into our heads, this, this standard, this, this goal that Jesus has for us, that we're carrying this same from aboveness that he brought in. And so this is what the Christ, Christmas message is in John. God has reached down by sending Jesus, and this is the, just the beginning, because we are then carrying that aboveness. So let's just finish by looking at the steps. 
So Jesus came from above as a little baby. We must be born from above by having some of that life of God born in us, the, the, some of eternity born in our hearts, his DNA. Jesus totally depended on power from above to live as an example to us, so we need to depend totally on him, and then God sends us to carry this light, and part of this that we carry is a supernatural love for one another and love for this world. And so we're carrying God's love sent Jesus into the world, and that love should send us out carrying this message to others. So um, are you living a life that's struggling to reach up to God, struggling to find, trying to, to get there? Well, the, or uh, are, you, are you recognizing that, that Jesus is the one who's reached down to you and all you need to do is to accept what he's given you and to trust him. I want this Christmas to be a time when we, we have this message brings us joy because joyfully we can moment by moment learn to depend on him. And when we see this Christmas imagery around us, we can see, yeah, that was God reaching down to us and he's reached to me. And just as I see that picture of a baby, his life is birthed in my heart, and I have some of eternity born in me. And through that life, I will survive everything. And just like the, um, the, the illustration I gave you, this big ship that's going down, I'm not going down with the ship because I'm connected with the helicopter above to rescue me. I'm connected with this rescue and I'm going to be taken up and I'm going to live for eternity because of what Jesus did. So uh, let's just close in prayer. I'll get the worship team to come out now as we're just bringing this to God. Oh, Jesus, we thank you so much for what you did for this Christ that you paid, but not just in your death, but in your life, demonstrating what it's like to live like us. And Lord, we pray that you will help us to follow this example you gave and just trust in you and recognize that we need you every moment. We need you every step of the way. Lord, we pray that this will not be a pain for us, but a joy to live in you. And this Christmas, we will have an experience of living in this joy from the power that you give us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Amen.